It's show 72 of the Rim Pro Report. Today, the industry news and Peter Guffin of Pierce Atwood. This show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. What impresses me about this company is not just their dedication to great products, their customer support and service, but the focus they have on ongoing and new development. Not for where you are today, but for where you're going to be down the road in your future. You can learn more about O'Neill at O'NeillSoft.com. It's only 373 days till 2013. Are you ready? Welcome to the Rim, Rim, Rim Pro Reports, the one and only weekly broadcast for the rim support services industry. Bustling with news, views, here's what I believe, and the latest updates. That's just them. The show is full of interesting information. Stories. Yes. Important product and service reviews. Yes. And a cast of industry characters included. Yes. Record center operators. Shred and destruction vendors. Media and electronic vaulters. Scanners and imaging providers. Take note, this show is for you. Now, here's your host, Tom Adams. Yep, it's me. I'm back, and January is already moving faster than I can keep up with. How about you? How are you doing? I really appreciate the fact that you are here with us today. I hope that as January is beginning to unfold, uh, you are setting your sights on a really cool year. I am extremely excited about this year and happy to be sharing it with you. Hey, today on the show, I'm going to be talking to Peter Guffin. Peter's a partner at Pierce Atwood in Portland, Maine, and he's the leader of the firm's privacy and data security practice group. He's going to be speaking at Prism Privacy Plus certification workshop at the end of the month and so I wanted to chat with him and get his perspective on the ever-changing privacy landscape from a legal point of view but uh, before we chat with Peter let's catch you up on the most recent industry news last week nothing to report this week some good stuff going on hey the buyers are starting to line up for recall looks like the Carlisle group and the Apollo global management have been shortlisted and have been given access to the data. Looks like there are possibly two others shortlisted, but no word on who. It is clear that iron is not involved in these discussions. Early speculation is that the business is valued at more than $2 billion. Looks like uh, Recaller Brambles is wanting to get 2.2 out of it, which is approximately nine times earnings before EBITDA. Final bids are expected mid-January. We will keep you posted. Reb Storage Systems turns 50 this year. Woohoo! Given the way the steel market has been, you gotta hand it to Tom Lesko and Lori Palmer and the entire rest of the team at Reb for still standing proudly after 50 years. Way to go. Congratulations and a big happy birthday. Hey, two South Carolina shredding companies, Shred360 and Secure Shred have merged under the name Shred360. Statewide headquarters for the merged operations will be Shred360's facility in Columbia, South Carolina. The merger has created the largest locally owned certified information management destruction company in South Carolina. The merger was completed in December of 2011. Congrats to John Anderson, James Christie, and Mallory Edwards on joining forces. New Zealand-based Axo Shredders have opened a U.S. manufacturing sales and service facility in 
Philadelphia. Jeff Zorn will serve as chief executive officer of the new facility called Axo Shredders USA. Zorn says Axo selected Philadelphia for its U.S. facility because it offers easy access to markets on the East Coast as well as to other locations in the U.S. and Canada. The first products to be manufactured at the facility will be a 33,000 gross vehicle weight shred truck known as the MST-6 and a 25,550 gross vehicle weight shred truck known as the MST-5, which does not require a commercial driver's license to operate and will debut at the NAID conference in March. And finally, Shred Options, the company formed by David Delorge of Shredding Network and Ray Berry of Total Training Services, is set to launch its national shred program. The official launch will occur at the 2012 annual NAID conference. With the new program, the organization seeks to improve upon earlier IPSA, which is the American Protection Services America model, which also brought together NAID certified companies to service national accounts. Delors says toward that end, Shred Options hopes to help local and regional firms narrow the gap with the big guys. Well, congratulations, David and Ray, and pulling that whole program together. And that's it for us for now. If you have any news you want to share, if you're selling your company or expanding your locations, then hey, drop me a line. Best place to do so is right here on the RimProReport.com website, or send me an email from the email I send you every week, or whatever it takes, let me know, and I'll get your news on the RimPro Report. Hey, I'm going to get Peter on the line right now. Hang on while I get him. Peter Guffin is a partner at the law firm of Pierce Atwood and is on the line from his office in Portland. Peter, are you there? I am here, Tom. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Happy New Year, first and foremost, and welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Happy New Year to you. I hope you had a wonderful holiday. I did. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to share your expertise with us today. So let's start with some history. What got you interested or focused on privacy and data security in your practice? Well, that's a that's an interesting question. Um, it, it came about indirectly through my work in the uh, law and technology area. Okay, I, I have worked. I've, I've spent a, a good a good portion of my practice and career working with clients uh, at the intersection of uh, technology and intellectual property rights and the law. And I I saw oh, probably more than a dozen years ago. Um, a growing interest in in the privacy, data privacy, uh, data security uh, area, and what I've witnessed over the last ten years is is just an increased amount of scrutiny uh, around those two issues. And so my 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 background is 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 is, is really uh, coming at privacy and data security more from the technology law side of things um, as opposed to coming at it from a pure litigation perspective or from a pure um, you know, regulatory. You know, I'm not a healthcare lawyer, so haven't learned HIPAA right. as a healthcare lawyer, haven't learned the Gramm-Leach-Bliley law as a bank lawyer, but work with healthcare entities and work with banks and, and uh, other regulated entities. And, you know, at that intersection of law and technology and, 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 and through that, I, I 
gained a fair amount of experience and uh, knowledge around uh, data privacy and security. So in in that work that you're doing, obviously that has the, the world is exploding with this stuff. How busy are you all w- with it? Well, well, I, I would say very busy. Um, what I've noticed over the last few years, in particular, is is a is a growing part of of my own personal practice is in the in the privacy data security area. Um, you know, so I've noticed just in my own practice over the last few years a shift in the makeup of the type of work I'm doing for clients, and I've also seen that in in our firm generally, and and and, and law firms and professional consulting firms, uh, you know, around us. Um, you know, it's it's a uh, it's becoming a growing part of our firm's practice. Hmm. Meaning that there are others in our firm that are being called upon to uh, deal with privacy and data security issues. You know, I'll make a, a point here, which sometimes gets lost, I think, on a lot of clients, is just how multidisciplinary uh, this field is. The whole um, the, the, when you're when you're dealing from a legal side of the equation with with data security or privacy. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, it's it's it's. Uh, a uh, it's a field where you know it really requires expertise in in, in so many different areas. For yeah. example, um, you know, I, I as I as I mentioned, I I start from a technology intellectual property perspective, but you know, I rely on other colleagues of mine here at the firm that are very deep into. Uh, the uh, financial services world and right. understand the Graham Leach Bliley Act, you know, and, and what it requires of financial institutions and service providers, you know, of those financial institutions to help ground me in, you know, that whole regulatory world. Yeah. Um, and and the same is true on the HIPAA side. You know, uh, you know, I I work closely with a lot of my uh, colleagues who are expert in HIPAA. From either the healthcare or the um, employment area, uh, employment law perspective, you know, in terms of, you know, what uh, rules govern employers um, with respect to employee plans or insurers who are grappling with HIPAA because they're medical insurers. Um, litigation is another area, you know, where, you know, I would call upon my my uh, my partners who do. Um, Know, litigation, whether it's class action litigation involving data breaches, or just you know, uh, you know, helping navigate the attorney-client privilege issues and the compliance issues around a data breach, you know, it calls upon expertise in the forensic area that a lot of my litigation partners, you know, have. Yeah. So it it from your perspective as a individual lawyer, there's no way you could possibly manage all this stuff. You you have sort of taken a particular niche in that world and and allowed yourself to be surrounded by a whole bunch of very competent people. Yeah. I, another way of saying exactly, Tom. Another way of saying it is, I like to say this to others here at my firm. It's it's really a team sport. Yeah. You know, it's really a multi. Uh, uh, pronged approach to, you know, trying to help solve clients' problems and issues, 
uh, around this. Uh, another good example is insurance. You know, there's a whole body of learning around the insurance aspects of data breach. Um, right. And, right. you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, constantly amazed at what developments are happening in that field. Um, and, you know, that requires very specialized knowledge um, that I don't have, but obviously I some of that rubs off on me, but I'm able to walk down the hall and talk to an expert about uh, insurance coverage issues. Yeah. Uh, around these issues. Each, each kind of facet is a deep well. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yep, yep. So you suggest in, in coming off of that, data breach is not actually a single incident, but it's a series of incidents. So when de- when this data breach stuff happens, it it affects tons of different things. So tell me a little bit more about that. Well, you know, I think I think we as as uh, either both as consumers you know, and as lawyers and, and professionals, we think about you know a you know a data breach as being a single thing, uh, as a single event. But you know, once once you are alerted to a data breach, you you quickly see that you know in many cases it's it's a continuing uh, exposure, a continuing issue yeah. until until you figure out what the source of the data breach is right. and how to fix it. You know, so if uh, you know, you have a, uh, you know, the, you know, a, I don't want to pick on Sony, but we're all, you know, well aware of the, you know, the, the, the Sony yeah. um, data breach incident from last year involving yeah. tens of millions of different, you know, customers' accounts. You know, that, that you can think of it as a single incident, but it, but, but it really isn't. You no. know, there, 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 there was, there were breaches happening on a continuous basis for a long period of time involving individual accounts. And over that period of time, there were really multiple breaches. The, 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 the problem that most clients have when they discover that they're the victim of a data breach or a hacking of that sort, you know, the, the first task is to, is to try to figure out, you know, what's, what happened and what's happening. What's been compromised? What's being compromised? How do we make it stop? How do we uh, mitigate, um, you know, the risk? What do we shut down? Can we shut down things? Yeah. And sometimes it's a matter of weeks. It could be a month before you realize, you know, what the full scope of the series of data breaches um, really is. And and as you just suggested, th- that involves so many different people, so many different aspects. And, and from a legal perspective, it adds a complexity uh, because it sounds like to me the legal obligations and the laws are around this whole area of data protection are piling up like crazy. Um, tell me more about that. Well, you, you raise a really good point. Um, you know, it, it, here in the U.S., for example, we have, you know, multi, multi-level multi kinds of, uh, uh, you know, legal analysis that needs to take place. Right. Because you, you've got an overlay of, of federal law on top of, uh, on top of state law in this area. So there are, you know, as, as we've already alluded, you know, uh, we've got a, a body of federal law uh, in the financial services area, Thus, the uh, Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act. In the healthcare space, we have the uh, 
federal law of HIPAA and the High Tech Act. Yeah. Um, you know, there are other federal laws as well, uh, but you know, th- those are the two that are most often cited. Yeah. And then, and then you've got a, uh, you know, a vast array of state laws. You know, there are 46 states that have enacted data breach notification uh, statutes. And in addition to those, you have some states, uh, Massachusetts is a good example uh, of, of a state that has adopted its own info security hmm. uh, statute as well. Um, so not only data breach notification requirements in Massachusetts, but you also if uh, you know have obligations to make sure you have in place a written information security program in Massachusetts if you're holding Massachusetts residents' data. So that that could mean uh, over here in California, if a California company is actually ha- has clients in Massachusetts, they're required to keep that as well. Yes, yes, wow. yes. The reach of that is, uh, is 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 what you just stated. So the complexity Tech- factor is significant. Yes, yes, because you know you know it's not it's not uh, always. Um, you know, uh, I, I should say that the laws are not, you know, uh, perfectly consistent. Right. You know, as, as you would imagine, there, right. there's there's going to be a difference uh, in what the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act might require by way of both security standards as well as uh, uh, data breach notification. Uh, on the one hand, you know, that, uh, you know, might be different from what the HIPAA and HITECH Act requires, and that again, might be different from what the states require um, under their you know, regimes. So you've got these, you've got these overlapping regimes, yeah. over, overlapping regulatory bodies who are involved in enforcing all of this, and not always consistent. You have uh, preemption issues in terms of federal law, preempting state law, and you have some of the state laws actually addressing preemption. There are some state laws, for example, that actually, you know, say that if you're complying with HIPAA, then you're then, then you're good under our state law. Oh, okay. But even that adds some complexity because, um, you know, that uh, state law still may apply even though you're you know, subject to HIPAA and have complied with HIPAA. Wow. So it, it, it be, you know, one, one of the challenges I think most clients have is trying to figure out, you know, what law applies in the event of a data breach? You know what? You know you put your finger on an issue earlier, which is that you know a lot of these state laws uh, involve first looking at you know the re- you know whose data has been you know hacked or, right. or whose 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 data is it a resident of Massachusetts, a resident of Texas, because that's going to be determinative of you know, what state law might 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 govern. You know, so, what your notice contains and what steps you need to take. Right. So there's no carte blanche solution when a data breach occurs. If if you are the one responsible for a data breach and you have you have a more than just a local local client list, you have a significant legal process that you have to go through to understand even what you're supposed to do in response. That's under today's regime. That's correct. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Now that you know, of course, you know that may. That may change, and right. there's been efforts in Congress uh, to to uh, to address that. Um, 
none, none has been successful yet in terms of, you know, we don't have federal uh, legislation that applies across industries, you know, to all, uh, you know, types of data, you know, uh, you know, but there has been some, uh, a number of different bills you know, that have been uh, proposed and are working their way through Congress to uh, to try to create some kind of national uniformity yeah. to to uh, resolve some of this you know complexity that we have. So, is this the scariest part of of data breaches, at least from your perspective, or is there something else that's even more scary for a client? Well, you know the 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 uh, I guess there's two ways I would think about. Um, this one one is it's 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 from a just a pure business perspective yeah you know the data you know that we have about data breaches in terms of the costs of data breaches etc you know those those are 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 quite revealing in how expensive it is to experience a data breach right expensive in the in the sense of the uh you know the the loss of customer goodwill, the churn. Yeah. You know the, the 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 you know the the tarnishing of your reputation. You know that that actual cost has been uh, studies have tried to capture. You know what that represents in, in the context of the overall cost of a data breach. Um, in addition to that, you know you also have you know all these other expenses that are related to a data breach. And I, I, I don't have uh, off the top of my mind the exact figures from the uh, latest Poneman uh, Institute studies, but you know, the, the, the average cost of a, of a data breach on a per-record basis, I believe, is around $200 per, per record. Yeah, and that, that can add up very quickly if you've got uh, you know, 100,000 names. Oh, yeah, very, very much. Yeah, so... You know the the it's it's the costs I think that scare you know most most of us when we think about a data, yeah. data breach yeah. and it's the it's the it's the um, you know it's and, and those costs by the way don't include the the actual litigations that may unfold right the you know, the follow up costs the 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 hammer you know the hammer that hits you after the the costs are incurred that's right that's right you know I mean. You know, we're we're uh, you know, there's a lot of new law being developed in this area um, in terms of uh, class class action lawsuits. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, there's there's uh, you know interesting developments uh, around the country in different cases. You know, all all with an aim to try to to try to create some uh, you know some exposure for the 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 uh, or some, I should say, some recovery for the plaintiffs, uh, you know, who are who are actually individuals who are, whose whose data is actually breached, right, right, uh, in re- in recognition that there actually has been harm. Um, you know, those those, those uh, arguments are being advanced in, in courts today, and uh, you know, that's that's a that's a that's a, a frightening prospect for a lot of a lot of uh, clients. Yeah. Is, is, is that whole exposure to to these litigations, these class litig- class action litigations? 
Yeah. So this this show, as you know, is is focused on the rim service industry. So records companies, shred in, shred companies, uh, data protection uh, vaults, those those kind of service providers. Uh, what do we need to know in this industry to be prepared as it relates to data breaches? Well, I guess I guess I guess I would start by saying it's 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 always a good place to. Uh, start with understanding what your risk is. You know, if you're you're in the business, uh, if you're in the business of of holding, of storing, and, and handling, you know this, uh, you know this data, um, and and it, you know, you, you need to know what the risks are. You know, when when, when in the event of a breach, and and. You know, it might not have been something on the radar screen 15 years ago or 10 years ago. Yeah. But it's very much on the radar screen now because I think customers of of the uh, the record you know management company are are looking to shift some of that risk, if not a lot of that risk, you know, to the uh, record holding company. You know, they're 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 asking um, you know the record management company to sign up. For you know, you know, uh, risks either by way of of in, indemnities, yeah. uh, asking them to sign, you know, HIPAA BA agreements, business associate agreements. You know, they're asking them to you know, carve out exceptions in the uh, in, in in the service contract for you know breaches of of uh, duties around confidentiality and data security. So, I think I think the clients. And, and this is true across all industries, not just the the, the records management uh, company uh, industry, but everyone's everyone's seeing a risk shifting going on. Yeah, which which you know is really important for clients in the records management uh, industry to to understand what's what's going on. So what, the, what what that risk is, and 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 that there is actual risk shifting going on here. So when that when that risk shift is happening, the industry tends to rely on as much as possible a, a a sort of global template for a contract. And yet the reality of the world out there is that risk is shifting. Are are the traditional templates we've been using up to snuff? I don't think so. As a general rule, what I what I generally see is is um is not sufficient in, in, in today's in today's new environment. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think, uh, and, and, and I think there's a recognition by, you know, the sophisticated clients, the financial institutions, and the you know, larger insurance companies and, and healthcare entities, you know, that are understanding these risks. You know, the, you know, they're they're approaching, you know, their service providers, you know, with a with a different paradigm. Right. You know, they were asking for things that they weren't asking for, you know, five or ten years ago. Yeah, so so the standard template contracts don't always do the trick anymore. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So what happens when a RIM service provider, a record center, a shredding company, a data, data protection, data media rotation company loses a tape or a box gets misplaced inadvertently from a truck that 
should have shown up and the box somehow got left on the street. What's the implication now from your perspective to a service provider? Well, if you're holding that radioactive material when it gets, and I call it radioactive material just to highlight the point, yeah. that we need to, I think, think about this as radioactive, um, you know, you, you're, 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 you're now, I think, in a place where you have to implement what, a, what, what, what we refer to as an incident response plan. In other words, you know, as a service provider, you know, the, the expectation is that you're going to have in place a, a plan to deal with that eventuality. In other words, you know, it's, 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 I, think, I think we've all come to, to recognize that it's, it's, it's not a matter of if, it's really a matter of when. Right. We're going to have, you know, incidents like this happen. The, the kinds of incidents that you just referred to as examples are very, very typical examples. Very typical, yeah. And, and, and they happen every day. You know, you uh, you know you can go to the uh, you know, various websites to to you know get the uh, you know descriptions of the types of data breaches you know that have been experienced uh, in the last year, uh, whether it's healthcare, financial services, or, or other, and most of them are are relate to the kinds of things you just. Yeah, it's, it's a strange human error where, where there was probably systems in place, there was process in place, and yet uh, we all get distracted. Um, I, I'm sure you do as well. I, I certainly know that my brain turns off in completely unexpected and mysterious ways on a regular basis. And <laughs> and uh, even the best of us uh, struggle with that. And yeah, it happens. But I, I mean, it's interesting because you said an incident response plan, and I know that in the industry we've I think we've got, a, based on um, people like Steve Richards who have experienced fires, uh, have really created a disaster response mechanism. So what do we do when we have an incident like fire? But I don't think a lot of us have incident response plans for these kind of events now. Yeah, and I think that's really the critical piece that, you know, we really need to help our clients, you know, uh, put together. Need, in other words, take the experience that we know from, you know, how these things unfold, you know, how they, how they uh, uh, you know, ought to be handled, and, and bake all of that experience into putting together something that, by way of a plan, that will actually you know, help clients um, figure out what to do so they're mitigating their risk, mitigating their clients' risks. Um, you know, they're complying with, with law. They're doing all the reasonable things that they should be doing. Well, and to me, there's there's a there's a wonderful business opportunity hidden inside of that because uh, these are the kind of issues that are are evident in the news. They're evident in people's thinking more and more as it relates to the data that that clients hold and then pass on to us as providers, uh, especially in the rim service industry. Um, but a lot of times, you know, we it's easy for us to say, well, it's just a box on a shelf or it's a tape rotating through our building, but there's opportunity there to be much more proactive to actually go out and create new levels of service that can uh, elevate the the relationship we have with our clients in a significant way. What do you think about that? I think that's an uh, you know that's an excellent way to look at it. I think, uh, and, and I actually I think. 
see some of that in some of my, you know, uh, some of my, you know, records management company clients. I think, you know, or the shredding company clients. They're ahead of the curve. They're thinking about the risk in in, in the way they they uh, they should be thinking about the risk, and they're they're ahead of it. They they they've got their own template agreements. They they know where the lines are. They have their you know procedures and policies in place. And, and they're out there helping their clients understand the new the new the new risk environment we live in. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, you're yeah. speaking you're speaking at the Prism Privacy Plus certification workshops. What's the focus of what you're talking about? What we've been talking about here? It it is. It's very much uh, what we're talking about here. It's uh, I'll be speaking. Uh, I think it's the the end of January uh, with my partner Larry Varn. And he and I are going to be participating, uh, along with some other experts, in a two-day Privacy uh, Plus certification program that's being launched by PRISM uh, this month. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Very and cool. I think, I think that's an effort to, to, to do exactly what we were just talking yeah. about, Tom, you yeah. know, to, to, to sort of raise the awareness and, and help, and help uh, you know, the industry understand what the uh, risk issues are, how to address them, and ultimately, I think, to offer a better product and service to, to customers. Absolutely. I, I think that's the secret of it all. Um, you know, the box-on-shelf mentality uh, served us well for a number of years, but the transition is not just happening. It's required now. And I believe strongly that, you know, the the uh, input of people like you that come at it not just from, you know, not just from the perspective that most of us in the industry, which is how do how do we create revenue and how do we support our clients, but when it when you bring your perspective, which is there's 47 laws and there's 37 implications, and you got to go down all these different pathways, uh, it forces us to think differently. and And I think as an industry, we're now required to think differently. And so I, I think the value is is pretty evident in in the. Um, the whole concept around improving the way we look at it, this and what Prism's doing with Privacy Plus is a is an important example of that. Yeah, and, and the legal profession is no exception. I mean, we, you know, we we obviously are trying to help our clients understand, you know, how to navigate through this complexity. Yeah. Um, and you know, we don't want to make it hard for our clients to do that. We 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 we're trying to figure out ways to to navigate. You know. Uh, in the most efficient, expeditious way through all this maze. What are the shortcuts? What are the rules of thumb? You know, what are the uh, best practices in this area to to help uh, you know clients understand you know what their obligations are? Yeah. Well, very cool. I, I, I am appreciative of your expertise and wisdom, and I love to, uh, along with. You know, hearing what your expertise is, I also love to learn a little bit more about you. So, when you're not working in your legal practice, what do you love to do for fun? What do, what do you what you know, floats your boat outside of sitting in an office and digging into privacy and data protection laws? Well, well, actually, uh, you mentioned boats. I'm, I'm looking out my window now at, at our lovely Portland Harbor, and uh, I'm I'm a, an avid sea kayaker. Oh, so wow. I, I I love sea kayaking. Uh, I'm also an avid uh, Nordic skier. I, I love uh, skiing in the winter. We have a fair amount of snow. Not this year yet. Not yet. We us- usually at this time of year we have a lot of white powder on the on the ground here in uh, northern New England. Um, 
and I also love cycling in the uh, bicycling in the uh, summer. I love I love uh, cycling through the uh, White Mountains, through through the different notches we have uh, here in the in uh, the New Hampshire, Maine area. Um, so those are the things that keep me and you know busy on top of you know a family with uh, three daughters and all of all of that goes with that. Wow. So that's that's how I spend most of my time when I'm not uh, focused on uh, privacy and data security issues. So if you could have lunch with somebody you greatly admire but have never met, who would it be and why would you want to? Wow, that's a stumper, huh? Well, I'd love to meet you for lunch. <laughs> All right, well, let's make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's an easy answer. I'll, 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 I'll look for an opportunity to come visit you in warm San Diego. That would be wonderful. Hey, Peter, it's been great to talk to you. I, I appreciate uh, your input on the show today. I appreciate your perspective. And I know that as the whole world we live in continues to change, your value uh, and, and what you bring to this industry will will continue to evolve and, uh, and grow. So thanks, thanks so much for being a part of the show today. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Tom. Uh, there you have it. Thanks to Peter Guffin for being on the show. I really appreciate his perspective, his uh, unique way of looking at things. I, I think sometimes it's easy for us to come from the perspective that we often do, which is what we're doing in our own businesses. But occasionally, I think it's incredibly helpful to get uh, someone like Peter on the line who actually lives this out in the courtrooms and deals with some of the legal implications of failure to look after uh, data security and privacy and all those kind of things that are now becoming such an incredibly big and important part of the work that we do in our businesses. So thanks to Peter and thank you to you too for being a part of the show today. I appreciate your presence. Let me remind you that O'Neill has a focused commitment to lead the rim service industry. Get this. Their software is installed in over a thousand record centers in more than 78 countries, ranging from small startups right up to multinational companies. If you're looking for software for your rim business, no matter where you are, check them out at O'NeillSoft.com. That's it for us. We'll be back next week with another great show for you. Thanks for being here. We are out of here. Thanks for joining us on the RIM Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com where you can find show archives and a whole lot more. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Incorporated. Join us again soon.